You're listening to the British Baseball Podcast. And joining me on today's episode of the British Baseball Podcast, I am very excited to have alongside me Mr. John Boyd, who's the CEO of Baseball Software UK. John, how are we? Hi, Matt. Very well, thanks. Very well. How's the lockdown up in Salford? Uh, warm, very warm, which is why I look a nice, glossy, shiny shell of a man. I'm not normally this sweaty, even though I am a bald man. I don't normally shimmer this well in the light, but yeah, we're getting there. Keep myself hydrated, keep myself busy. And uh, Manchester baseball is finally allowed back into training as well, so that was fun last Sunday. Oh. Yeah, really good to be back out. Oh. How about yourself? Yeah, very, very uh, similar. Very warm today. I did manage to get out and uh, have my run, but uh, uh, yeah, probably wasn't the wisest thing. Uh, it's it's uh-huh. been such a weird year, hasn't it? All this unexpected stuff and just having to deal with things that we didn't think we'd have to deal with, like uh, uh, working from home and uh, homeschooling and keeping kids entertained and then a long, hot summer without any baseball. Uh, it's just tough. Yeah, yeah, there's always so many Lego structures you can build with the same 12 blocks <laughs> before things start to get a bit, a bit samey. Uh, so uh, thank you for, for agreeing to come on the show. We, we've got quite a lot of listener questions to get through. It's become, uh, I think it's the second most popular episode I'll, I'll be doing with listener questions next to the Johnny and Josh show that came on. Um, so before we get into those, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself and how you got interested in baseball? Well, how I got interested in baseball? Well, it's a very long story, so I'll give you the potted version. Um, I, uh, look, I, I was born in South Africa, uh, into apartheid South Africa, uh, and uh, in the height of apartheid, uh, one of the things that uh, my quite liberal family quite encouraged was that I played with uh, some of the, the kids from around the neighborhood, and included in that were some of the, the, the kind of staff from a different household. And there was, a, there was a black boy from down the road called Kerry, and uh, I remember quite vividly that Kerry, uh, Kerry and I used to play all the time in the garden, and at one point, um, it was so hot, like like it is now. Now I said, "Oh, let's go to the municipal pool." And that was the first time he kind of Kerry sat me down and said, "Oh, do you know what? I don't, I, I, I can't. No, no, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to my mother. She'll be fine. I've got, I've got swimming trunks here. We can go. I know the swimming pool. We'll go." And he's like, "No, no, I can't." And I, I remember my mom having to sit me down, and and that was my first realization of difference in color and, and the apartheid regime. Anyway. Um, that was a digression, but Kerry got me into playing uh, baseball. He, one day he brought over this uh, stick and he had uh, put some uh, string around it and some glue and made it into a makeshift uh, stick to a bat. Um, and we, we would play and he would throw this tennis ball at me. We had a garage door and it was a makeshift strike zone and I'd hit it. And then my mother saw me doing that and got me involved in the local club for a year uh, before we left. And when we left in uh, 1980, Eight. Uh, it was still the height of apartheid. We came, we moved to Windsor, and uh, to be honest, I, I kind of moving into this culture. You can imagine that uh, all of the South Africanness of me was beaten out of me in a primary school play a playground in uh, in Windsor. And you know, I when I got into um, into the different sports, I couldn't really find anything. Playing football in the middle of winter in uh, shorts in the mud just was alien to me from what I did in South Africa. Um, so I, I eventually, I, I went for a trip to, to see my sister who was doing a postgraduate in Northwestern. She could definitely got all the brains in the family. She's a Fulbright scholar. And anyway, so she takes me off to, uh, the Cubs, uh, to Wrigley Field for two games. And I, I'm in, I'm 
all out. This is the best thing ever. I remembered it. I came back. I was buzzing. I just loved it. I was sitting in the bleachers for the games, and you know, in in uh, in Wrigley, there were two two bleacher bums with these two two guys in front of us, and it took up the same space as five of us. It was just this authentic <laughs> experience of hot dogs and yelling and Americana, and I loved it. So I came back, and uh, I was like, okay, uh, talking to my parents, I'm in. I want to do this. And and I remember my mum coming up to me and saying, um, okay, you've got three options. Uh, you can you can play for a club that's 20 miles down the road from Windsor in Reading, the Reading Royals. Okay. Uh, they have a youth program. They're going to the national championships this uh, this September. Okay, great. So they're going off to the national championships. Um, that's interesting. Great. What else? Uh, well, you can go and join the the American school in Switzerland, Tassis. They have uh, an international program uh, that uh, that is open to anyone. So you can join it up to the age of 14. You don't have to be a member of the school. It's pre-JV. So you can join that and they play on Saturdays and they're down in Thorpe. So it's 10 miles down. There. Okay, great. Or you can set up your own team with your friends. And I said, okay, great. And she said, so which, which, which one? And I said, oh, you want me to choose? So we ended up doing all three. Um, and I, I remember going off to meet this guy, Jack Pagula at, um, at, uh, uh, at Reading Royals, and he was a very hard South African guy as well, in, coincidentally. And he took me off to the, the first uh, game uh, up at, um, in, in um, it was in Birmingham. There was a national uh, championship at the Tally Ho Center. And I got to the, the thing, and uh, I had another encounter with another bloody South African, who was a guy called Ted Gerald Thessing. Now, T Ted is one of the, was one of the members of the British Baseball Federation. But uh, he was umpiring the game, and he was behind us, and he looked over him, and he said, hey, you. Are you, you on the bench, off, because I was not in uniform yet. I wasn't in the full uniform. So I, I, I effectively, the only time I've been ejected from a baseball game was before I was even a member of the, the, the team. Um, and uh, anyway, so that, that was the Reading Royals. They folded after that year uh, or the year after, and I didn't really play for them more after that experience, not because of all the dodgy South Africans. Um, and then I, I also went and played at Tassis, uh, which was the America school. And I remember going down to Thorpe and I'd go there on a, on a Saturday and I had some understanding because I played T-ball already. I could kind of hold my own within the teams, but I was fundamentally learning the game. And I'd learn stuff on Saturday and I'd go back on the Sunday and teach, teach my uh, friends at school. And um, I really found that that kind of getting out into the school, recruiting my friends, organizing the club, they got to, uh, I got them all together and we, we were picking a team name. Um, uh, sorry, it's a slight digression. But I remember I was, I was determined that this would be the Windsor Cubs. The Windsor Cubs, the Windsor Cubs. And I got outvoted in our first committee meeting on the school playground and it was turned into the Bears because they didn't want to be seen to be too soppy. So <laughs> we became the Windsor Bears from that. <laughs> and uh, we, uh, we formed and we played on the home park in Windsor, which is right under the, uh, under the castle, the castles in the background. We started with a tennis ball and, uh, and a glove or two. Uh, and we gradually got all of our equipment together and, and started playing. And our, our first game was, was against the Tombridge Bobcats, who had just formed their first youth team. So Margaret Borley was uh, the uh, elderly stateswoman of British, uh, British baseball. And I was this little young punk of an upstart. And uh, it was these two very misplaced people within British baseball organizing youth teams at exactly the same time. Um, and our first game was against Alex Malahoudis and the Carters, and it was a big rivalry it, it, that, that stemmed from that. And um, 
basically that's how I got into it. And that's, that's the hook. But what, what I was saying was I, I found interestingly that my ability to, well, my, my running of the club was an outlet for me. So while I was this South African kid, I didn't have much that the British culture could, could I couldn't hold my own with them. But as soon as I became, and this was my nickname in school, John Boyd baseball, uh, or often said, John Boyd, um, uh, teasingly, but also fondly, I had something to do and something to kind of uh, connect with a lot of people and, 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 and a reason to speak to anyone. So it, it really helped me kind of find my feet. Uh, but that's how I got into it. How long did the Windsor Cubs last for? Uh, the Windsor Bears last for? So I did that for 16 years. Um, and uh, by the end of it, um, I was uh, running the, the entire club program, which was, uh, uh, it went from the one team to two teams. You know, then had a, uh, a little league and, two, and a youth program uh, and a younger age group. Then both had little leagues, and then we had a t-ball program. Then we introduced an adult program, and then we had two adult teams. And by the end of it, I think um, the kind of highlight for me in terms of the whole program was um, the the number of uh, visits we had to to youth championships and that flow of uh, we we had quite a few national championships under our belt through really kind of committed and quite well integrated British and uh, American kind of kids in the program. Uh, and finally, in 2003, we, uh, we won the, the National League. We won the Final Four National Championship, and we went off to Europe and, and uh, won in the club competition, B-Pool, which was the, the first time that I think the club's been promoted into the A-Pool. And as far as I'm aware, the first time that kind of triple crown's been won in, in British baseball. So, yeah, I did that for 16 years, but I, I burnt out around 2005, six. Uh, and I just needed, I mean, a lot of that was, I was already working for Baseball Software UK and I, I just couldn't, uh, I was living in, in central London. I couldn't get out to Windsor four times a week, including both days of the weekend and, yeah. and putting in all the money that I put in. So yeah, I did that for, I did that for 16 years. A club carried on for a few years after me, um, but, um, it's, it's living on in spirit now and in the hearts of those people that are still around. And how old were you when you started that team? I was 12. Love it. Brilliant. <laughs> Superb. That most 12 years away, I live just smash up bus stops. And that's like, <laughs> how I use your time wisely. You could be starting a baseball team for union mates. You've already got baseball bats. Use them properly. Uh, oh, uh, it won't surprise you to know that um, the upstart nature of my 12-hood years is genetic. So my eight-year-old uh, is, is uh, quite competent and uh, very uh, confident. And uh, I'm encouraging her to do the same and told her that she's doing it four years ahead of me. So um, she's on a little bit of a mission to set up her own club now. We'll see how that goes. But uh, uh, if it happens, then it'll certainly be her drive on it and uh, a little bit of my direction in the background. Absolutely. Brilliant stuff. So how did you get involved in baseball in this country then in terms of you started off in the BBF before you went yeah, to yeah, the yeah. How do How do you, uh, how'd you progress? So, I mean, you know, there are not many 12-year-olds that speak at their first AGM of the British Baseball Federation. Uh, I didn't intend to. I was sitting at the back, but I had to put my hand up and uh, say, say something about um, my, how I, I wanted to correct some of the things that were being saying, said about um, the perception that British kids don't want to play baseball. And uh, I, that wasn't my experience. And I said, I said that. I said, actually, my experience is that when you when you put a glove on the wrong hand uh, and you tell a kid that they're going to uh, hit a round ball with a round bat and run around a diamond in a circle, that kind of captured by that, that's unique, that's different. And that's even before you 
kind of um, tell them about the coolness of the MLB brand or the sport itself. So my experience was that kids really do enjoy playing this. They might have other commitments, it might be other things, but fundamentally it's the infrastructures, the adults, the coaches, the, the quality of the session the, that might put them off, not the sport itself. And I, was, I remember saying our biggest challenge is we can't find a coach. So can, can that be helped? And anyway, so I, I went around, I would talk to AGMs. I, I went through the BBF handbook. This was all analog in those days, paper copies and telephones. And there wasn't a person in that BBF handbook that I hadn't phoned and asked for help with coming to umpire our games or help with equipment or whatever. And so I was quite well known all the way through my teens. Um, by the time I got to university, it was a fairly natural step for me to try and organize a university team. And with that came uh, the pretty quick uh, responsibility of organizing all of university baseball, uh, which I did and um, ended up uh, on the British Baseball Federation board while I was at university. So as a 20 year old, I was on that, uh, on that board and connected in. And then uh, out of the back of that, um, I, I, I came out of university, was recruited by Major League Baseball to do some do some work for them. When I say recruited, that, that's how they made me feel. I think what they actually felt was a bit of sympathy and encouragement was in order here. But anyway, I went in and worked with Major League Baseball in the summer of uh, 1999. Uh, I was working to support the Playball World Series, which was their youth initiative uh, with the British Baseball Federation. I was working to support the national championships that they were supporting with the British Baseball Federation run at Brighton. Uh, I also, my last job was uh, kind of doing the grunt work of an audit of the British Baseball Federation, British Softball Federation in terms of their processes in order to create this joint venture or that, that ultimately became Baseball Softball UK. So uh, my journey through this was soon after I'd done that, I applied for a job at Baseball Softball UK, um, knowing those processes and audits uh, and uh, knowing how British Baseball ran. Uh, I got the job of uh, operations manager and uh, that was in January 2000 and I've been in the company since. Do you think that your experiences as a kid involved in baseball have affected the way that you are now in BSUK in terms of running it? Like you've noticed things like the challenges and the struggles you had as a, as a kid and it's maybe influenced the way you've worked learned to make sure that that doesn't happen to anybody else? Oh, 100%. A hundred percent. I remember um, when I was first setting up, um, I was very green, uh, you know, and, and enthusiastic. I'm, mean, you know, the kind of, I had the kind of enthusiasm that you, that you have around this podcast and the sport. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I was very green, but I didn't know where, where, where to go for help. And mm -hmm. uh, on one of the, I was not shy either. So one of the times I picked up the phone and I reached uh, a guy called Joe Walker. Now, Joe Walker was then playing for the uh, Scottish Amicable in the Scottish Amicable League for the Southern Tigers. He was a catcher, he was an American with a big nose and uh, a very big mouth as well, uh, metaphorically in the matter anyway. Um, and uh, he just he somehow took to giving me some help. And he was the guy on the end of the phone who, if I got stuck, I could phone. And um, he, he really helped me. And for, from my perspective, that help, and, and also the help that came from a local authority uh, development officer called Sean Kearns who helped me with the constitution and setting up a bank account. Those two people had such a fundamental kind of guide to getting some of the basics right for Windsor uh, in my early days and when I've gone through this process of understanding how we support clubs and what we do and you know, even why whether we put money into equipment or into staff it, it's always been my belief that the biggest thing we can do is help facilitate those enthusiastic people 
help make sure that those people who have a level of enthusiasm know where to go, what to write in their constitution, how to get a bank account set up, how to create a website, how to get through those early stages, how to connect into the local authority or raise some funds. And Joe, Joe said to me at one point, why don't you go get some sponsorship? And you know, I was like, what, what? walk the high street, go shop to shop, tell them who you are, be confident, say this is what you've got. And I did, and I got almost nowhere for a couple of days. And then I walked into a restaurant called Uncle Sam's, an American restaurant, and the guy gave me 250 pounds at this little punk of a kid, 12-year-old, on the spot to have his name on here. And I got a, another sports shop to give me 50 pounds and I you know, raised a little bit of money for the club. And it, it was just it was little things like that that really helped. And did Joe set up my club? No, I did. But could I have done it without Joe? No, absolutely not. So that, that ethos has been very much the heart. And actually in this week when we're you know, launching the development charter, that's very much at the heart of what I envisage us as an organization being able to do for, for those grassroots organization clubs yeah. uh, across the country. Great stuff. Um, got Paul Vernon to, uh, to thank for his question. He says, um, BSUK setup, what is it? What does it mean? What's it about? And how does it work? Oh, Paul, you know the answer to that. You're around when it happened. Um, yeah, no. Uh, so Baseball Software UK, uh, our, the concept fathers of, the, of, of Baseball Software UK were uh, a couple of people at Major League Baseball. Uh, James Pierce, who was on the British Baseball Federation board and then went on to uh, run the World Baseball Classic as tournament director. Uh, and also Clive Russell, who was the uh, the, the director of Major League Baseball in EMEA uh, and really set it up in, in the late 90s and, and all the way through the 2000s and, and into the mid-teens, mid, uh, 2000-teens. Um, those two were really behind this concept of a joint venture between the two, the two federations that they were working with at the time. So Major League Baseball was, in, was investing in youth programs for British baseball. They were investing in uh, softball tournaments to engage a, a population of softball players at the time. And they said, actually, if we bring this together, we have some commonality of uh, effort. We have a single infrastructure. We have a single staff team. We have an ability to really do three kind of pillars of work. One was uh, realize the government investment that, that is uh, the, the potential for government investment that is out there within sport. The lottery was just coming online, the national lottery. Um, the second, which I think we've done very well, by the way. Um, the second one is um, realize the kind of collective power of the of bringing the infrastructures together. One, one sport in Outlook means you've got one infrastructure, you've got one finance team, you've got one development team, you've got one team looking at facilities, you've got one team looking at talent, and it's all in, in there are lots of efficiencies of doing that. And I think we've done that pretty well too. Uh, and the third one was kind of realize commercial sponsorship opportunities by presenting sports together. And, and, and look, if I'm honest, I don't think we've done that well enough yet. I think there's still some potential in that area. Um, mainly if we, you know, it, it centers around being able to present a, a big enough community. And some of our realization around the commercial opportunity there is about actually we've got to grow before we become interesting to, to companies and in, interesting to companies investing in us in, in a substantial and sustainable way. So those are the pillars that we were set up on. Um, uh, it, look, 1999 was a pretty interesting year. Major League Baseball was saying to the baseball community and the softball community, you need to create this organization. There was some momentum. We had created a joint uh, uh, magazine as an as a interesting kind of uh, toe dip into working together called Double Play. And what we learned from Double Play was, um, you know, it's very similar to COVID. People have different perspectives. Um, you know, in, in COVID, someone said to me at one point, 
you know, this whole thing around COVID-19 is when everyone says we're in the same boat, we're not in the same boat, we're, we're in the same storm, we've got very different boats. And that rings true for the, the outlook as well for where British baseball and British softball were in 1999. Um, British baseball was ready to kind of take over this and be the big powerhouse in this collaborative venture and softball was reticent about being taken over and kind of there were some kind of concerns in there and we decided that we would set up baseball software uk but we would effectively not formally merge the three organizations um and but but we did it in everything but uh, but name the two organizations that continue to exist but we had one bank account we had one set of articles we had a council governing baseball software uk and we, we, we got going and Major League Baseball pulled all of their resources. We pulled the staff uh, from the BBF and from the BSF into one infrastructure. Um, we set up an office in London, which Major League Baseball uh, effectively paid for without us having to pay for it. So we got a Charlotte Street West one uh, in the middle of Media Land office uh, free of charge for I think 15 years before Major League Baseball even asked us to contribute. Free internet, free computers, free phones, everything. Um, and they were really good to us in getting us going in order to have this prof professional front for the sports to intersect with government, to intersect with uh, the sports funders, uh, to intersect with the community as a whole, and to try and create a commonality between baseball and softball or one community. Yeah. Cool. Um, what is the CEO position all about at BSUK? What's like your, <laughs> your day to day workings? Oh gosh, um, my like day-to-day working. Yeah, it does. Uh, what Sorry. can I bring to the role? <laughs> um, <laughs> look, the I, I, it's a very interesting question. It spans from understanding why uh, we can and can't have a water supply on a dirt infield uh, in Farnham Park, all the way through to the complexities of. Um, uh, safeguarding responsibilities across sport and how they might impact on uh, clubs' red tape perceptions and, and create some barriers into the sport all the way through to government policy. I think the, the reality is that, that in some ways, I think the, the best way to describe it is um, to, to talk about some of my peers. Um, so uh, the, the peers that I intersect with, the CEOs of other sports, range from the chief executive of badminton England and England hockey through to the chief executive of an unfunded body that's called UK Ultimate, Ultimate Frisbee, basically. Um, and that intersection is sharing experiences, understanding how the sport can move forward, what some of the challenges are, um, making sure that our, um, how we operate is um, up to scratch for what the government will expect, what the sports will expect, uh, and how we optimize what we do. And I think there are a lot of commonalities between each of the organizations, but fundamentally my job is to, to make sure that baseball and softball, who are much bigger sports in many other countries and much smaller sports in other countries, but baseball and softball can walk shoulder to shoulder with the established sports in this country. Uh, and I think, you know, over the last um, 20 years through all of the efforts of the founding chief executive of Baseball Software UK, Bob Fromer, Jenny, who um, was joint chief executive, Jenny Fromer uh, with me for many years, and the whole rest of the team has been to try and make sure that the, 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 the front and the impression that people have of Baseball Software UK, whether they're the first time player or another administrator of another sport or a government official or a funder is positive and can be uh, seen to be a really good thing. So 
that fundamentally is 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 the job as I see it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's at the moment it's sitting at a desk and trying to make sure that everyone's happy and that everyone understands where we're going and that we we're aligning everyone in in one common direction. But uh, yeah, fundamentally, it's it's that interface between the sports and the wider world. That's cool. Um, another question I wanted to ask when I was doing my research on your city, quite involved in in like Little League, and it also brings on from a question from Charlie Baylo, who's a place for the Bruins. He's asked as well if there's any advice you can give about starting a youth program and presume that's at the Bruins but um yeah can you tell us a little bit more about your involvement in Little League I mean as a, as a parent myself my little one's three um and yeah. I see how much he, he likes playing baseball in the back garden I would never sort of push him into it but if I can see that he's enjoying it I'd like him to follow it and I'd like him to to continue it because I like playing it with him and hopefully we can see where it progresses so yeah what was about Little League and uh, and then Charlie's question as well uh Little League um I've had some pretty cool experiences in the sport and uh, they're things that um, uh, I, I feel very humbled by um, various different things and, and experiences that are just, I, you know, at some point and over a beer, I'm sure I'd, uh, I'd be more, uh, less embarrassed about sharing, but um, out of all of them, the coolest thing that I've been able to do in my whole time within the sport is uh, sit on the board of directors of Little League uh, International. Um, uh, that was really afforded to me. I think um, I was voted onto it by my by, by my peers across Europe, so other little league uh, organisers across Europe, um, and and it was a complete honour for me to to represent them on the board and um, to to be a board director. Uh, I think Little League is an incredible organisation. It is the world's largest uh, sporting organisation, and it has at its heart that very fundamental ethos of. Uh, uh, of player development of the, the the importance they fundamentally are not a baseball and softball organization they're a, they're a, they're an organization about the child they're the ones that pioneered safety helmets in 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 baseball they're the mm -hmm. ones that have uh, really kind of pushed this positive coaching environment um that that um that kind of constructive coaching and making sure that there's there's a a, 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 a positive and, and really strong coach at the heart of the youth program um and they've continued to be that i think the um they, they often get uh, the, the power and the importance of Little League often gets lost behind the, the, the business or the perceived business of Little League, the Little League World Series, which is so powerful. I mean, to have games of 10 to 12 year olds played in a stadium that seats 25,000 people, including all the bank, the grass bank, yeah. and that gets um, the, a, a major broadcast deal with ESPN and broadcast across America as an institution is absolutely phenomenal. And when I'd say that to people in this country, they're like, what, watching 10 to 12 year olds? You know, that's, uh, that, that, that feels alien to people in, in Britain. And I, I think it often gets lost behind that, but the power for me of Little League, I, I love the Little League World Series, but the power is really it's local programming and it's focus. And this is the, the translation point, And it, it speaks a little bit to Charlie's question. It's focus on setting up a local program. So at the heart of Little League is a local league it's played on generally one field. It is based in the community. It is based within the, the commonality of your friends and the people whose houses you go around to. And you know, when, when Elliot's a bit older, you'll see how many, and I'm sure you're already seeing it, but how many of your, you know, your neighbors wanna, wanna you, you interact with them and you socialize with them if you're ever allowed to socialize with people again. But uh, you'll see that kind of community, right? And, and Little League's at the heart of that. It's this thing to do and it's a thing to do together. And I think that it fundamentally, the, the, when I was looking at how 
we can position uh, youth baseball and youth fast pitch in particular in this country as, as community programs. If we try and replicate the same club model as it exists in football or in hockey or, or in cricket, I think we're going to be on a sticky wicket, if you pardon the expression. I think we're going to be in a place where they're like, well, hang on a second, we've got so, we don't have a nearby club to play. If you set up in Salford, you've got Manchester, but you know, you've got a couple other places you can go, it's still a distance to travel. And, and I think the travel and that idea of home and away becomes a barrier. If you concentrate all the efforts, instead of putting the efforts into travel teams and uh, into taking and getting parents to take kids and signing forms, and instead of putting all those efforts into taking your one little team away, you put it into your own program and you build your program and you build your program in as big as you can, um, you get so much more benefit. So you end up, instead of the home and away standard, you've got four teams playing at that same standard in yeah. your one field. And that's where I think the growth will come from. And that fundamentally, that's, that's why I, I was, uh, was and continue, be, continue to be such a big proponent of Little League. It's that local league concept. Um, for me, it's really not about, you know, the, the dads getting to live out their egos through their, their sons or the, the, the kids and the, the, the kids being driven towards Little League World Series. I couldn't care less about that. That's, a, that's an outcome of a really good program. It's really about that concentration on a local, uh, on a local level. Yeah. So what advice are you giving to Charlie that's with him trying to set up uh, a youth development mm -hmm. uh, in Sheffield or to, to any club as well that are looking to try um, set up a youth Yeah. Um, I don't want to put you off. It's a big undertaking. Um, it's a lot of time commitment. So make sure you've got uh, the people around you. Um, I often, I, I have a slide deck of advice that I give to any club wanting to kind of develop. And I've, I've given this presentation to Europe and, uh, to clubs in Europe and, and all the other federations. And my first piece of advice is find someone else like you. Uh, find someone else who's enthusiastic and you can hand off some of the responsibility. And their first job is to find someone who will manage or, and find your volunteers. So that is fundamentally, you know, get people around you who can commit to this. And I, I, I jokingly mentioned my daughter uh, kind of doing this. And the advice I gave to her, which is the same as I gave to Charlie, is, Find someone who can set up your website. Find someone who will set up a bank account and run your finances. Find someone who can, if they, don't, if they can't do your logo, they can give a good enough start so that you can contact the baseball outlet who will do a logo for you and set up a team shop for your uniforms. Find someone who can be your equipment manager and make sure that, the, that all of your stuff is down there and it's ready to go. And unfortunately now as well, it's COVID cleaned and all that sort of thing. Find someone who can be that interface with the local authority or wherever you're play, playing is. Um, and then concentrate on making sure that they all know what they're doing um, and that they're, they, they're clear on what they're doing. They know how to do it. They know who to, to turn to to get some advice. And while you're doing that, also speak to Baseball Software UK. Check out our new uh, charter resource that we put online. Uh, the, the, um, the development charter has a website. It has a lot of tips about where you can go. And the, the relationship managers, our development staff, have even further information and resources behind that so get in touch uh, and you know we will we will do everything we can to make that as easy as possible for you uh, but it is a lot of work so make sure you you, you know you're finding other people who are as passionate enthusiastic as as you are charlie yeah well knowing the bruins like i know the bruins uh, they're a very determined and driven bunch i think you'll be um it won't be long before you see a youth development program yeah. thriving from them yeah yeah great bunch of people uh, thanks for that um so what do you think your unique skills are and how they helped you become successful in what you've been doing 
<laughs> my unique skills. Um, I know the sports. Um, I know baseball in and out. Um, I won't say I'm an expert in baseball. Um, I, I had a very real uh, moment in my playing career where my sister's uh, gumption arranged a tryout on Wrigley Field when I was 15. Uh, oh. And yeah, and I bottled it. I realized at that point that I wasn't ready. Um, I, I actually didn't have a career ahead of me. I was on the national team, but I, I could see that I could see my ceiling. Um, so I'm not I'm not proposing uh, purporting to be an expert in baseball. I'm not purporting to play at any any higher level than what British baseball had to offer. But I know and I love the sport, and I know why what makes it tick. And I've coached some very you know very passionate and players who have gone on to good things. Um, so one of them is is a familiarity with baseball. Um, I've also embraced uh, softball. I played fast pitch softball, and I I currently continue to play slow pitch softball. So that familiarity with um, what makes the communities tick, how they operate, who the people are. Um, you know, I think my Facebook uh, profile, um, uh, my, uh, my non-baseball and softball friends on there get upset when I tweet too much or Facebook about too much about baseball. But I, I know so many people in sport and have that familiarity. And, and I like to think that I'm approachable. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I had a couple of people pick up the phone to me this week and talk to me about the charter directly while I was working. And, you know, I, this is the baseball software UK is an organization for the sports. We will always be there for the sports. That's our job. And if we ever are not there for the sports and not doing what's in the best interest for baseball and softball together, then, then that's a very sorry day, but we, we won't get there. And we certainly won't get there when, when, uh, when we're all involved. So um, I think those are the main things. Um, I, I'm also a long serving now. I've got the long serving experience as chief executive of one of the funded uh, sports within Sporting and UK Sport land. And that, that's, that's given me a lot of experience in how to handle difficult circumstances, how to make sure that we are presenting ourselves well, how to push back sometimes when sometimes the government might, might and Sporting might you know, have different ideas and how to how to make sure that we're we're putting our best foot forward. So those are the those are I think are my key my key things. But I've I've been there, I've done it, I do get it, and uh, that can sometimes annoy the staff because I I can be pretty opinionated across everything from you know the water supply at Farnham Park to what our club resources are to how we're promoting our uniform suppliers to everything. So awesome. You've mentioned uh, throughout the show we we're talking about the charter. Uh, before we actually get into the charge itself, mm. what are your favourite memories related to the project? The charter? Mm. Oh, wow. Um, so memories, I mean, we, we've adopted this new uh, working way uh, across the team, which are called six-week sprints. And fundamentally, what we're, what we're doing is we're going to brief in a project that has a very clear uh, uh, brief, a very clear outcome, and um, we're gonna we're gonna hold ourselves to some pretty energized time frame time frames about it. And um, the the charter, from you know broad concept through to delivery, uh, was one of those six week sprints across the whole sports team, the whole um, staff team. So memory is is like this is they came off furlough on the seventh of July, and we delivered the charter on the tenth of August. That's that's how quickly we've done this. And it's, it, you know, look, um, there, there are probably things that we will continue to tweak. There are probably things that we will realize we haven't yet got because there's a unique or a, a, something that a club raises that we haven't yet. And we'll fix that. That's part of the point. But the work that we put in here is we've, we've created a new website. We've created a whole clear 
pathway for clubs to access it. We've spoken to all of the, the different organizations involved in this around the, the, the charter itself and around the strategy. We've got such good traction from across baseball and softball that, you know, I don't, uh, the, the great thing about this and the, the real energy I've got uh, around this week and last week and the launch of the strategy is just feels like for uh, the first time in a while that I can genuinely say <laughs> that the grassroots of British baseball and British softball are very much behind uh, something, regardless of whether they're a member of a certain league or a different program or whether they're in England, Northern England, Southern England, Southwest Scotland, Wales, or anywhere. So I think fundamentally that's, that my biggest takeaway is this is, this is something that's designed to try and unite everyone and say, it doesn't matter where we are, what we do, we've got something, we've got a basic innate right to, uh, to development services and safeguarding services. And we, we know where we'll get it from and we'll all work together in, in, in trying to grow the, 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 the participation, the number of people who are enjoying playing our sports. Awesome. So uh, t- tell us a bit more about the charter and the strategy that's been released. Yeah, I'll, I'll start with the, the strategy, if I may. Um, so uh, the beginning of last year, our board uh, started uh, kind of looking at our strategy and, and kind of made some observations around the played in every park strategy, which were broadly that uh, played in every park as a concept was, was strong. I think it still is, actually. But it's a strong concept around uh, a commitment to increasing participation. But have we have we got a current document that says, here's our strategy of what we're going to do. And what the board's observation, which I wholly agreed with, was we have, uh, we have a strategy that we're living and breathing, but it's not written down. Uh, the work program for staff was very clear. We had clear, key, key objectives set every year, broken down into every staff member, a golden thread that went through from the board, through me and into the staff team. But we didn't have a document that if a club said, what's your strategy, we could go here. Here it is, all in its, in its uh, neat form. So we introduced a, a, what we call this a, a strategic review, and we got an independent consultant to come in. Uh, it, don't worry, it didn't cost a lot of money. I think it was, uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't a lot of money, let's put it that way, it's um, just, uh, just a few thousand pounds. And um, uh, we got an independent consultant in, and he, he did a fantastic job on uh, look, going across the sport. He interviewed directors of the British Baseball Federation, of the British Softball Federation, of the BSUK board, of the staff team. There was a big survey that went out. There was, interestingly enough, um, almost half filled out purely by baseball, despite the discrepancy in numbers and the the size of of softball. uh, Baseball had a really good representation in it. And that uh, kind of deep review uncovered a lot of stuff. It it uncovered uh, some of the issues within the sport, some of the really good things, and it was a deep dive into, into what that was. Um, and on the back of that, part of the deliverable was to make some suggestions about what our strategy looks like. And those suggestions were given to us uh, through the summer of last year. And the board was digesting that and kind of creating a, a strategic plan out of that. And we, at a number of different points, took the iterations of that strategic plan back to our two members and offered touch points. Uh, so we said, here, here it is, let's talk about it, let's engage. And we continue to do that all the way through this year and, and got to the point where we were confident as a, as a BSUK board, we'd run through a, a, a legitimate and, uh, process of consultation and then we had a, had a strong strategy to, to launch. Um, so we've taken the last couple of weeks before the strategy launch to 
double check that with people and sense check it and let people know the strategy was coming and got really good positive feedback from that. And that's why we were able to launch the strategy. Um, what I'd say about the strategy is uh, a lot of people rightly, when, when we were talking about it and since have kind of said, yeah, but how, how are you going to deliver this? And the strategy doesn't contain that detail. Um, the, the how I think is, uh, is, is certainly something we want to, we want to work with the communities in baseball and in fast pitch and in slow pitch to develop. It, the strategic document isn't about the how. The strategic uh, document is about the what. The what is participation growth. It's a clear prioritization of supporting grassroots organizations, the clubs across the country to, to become stronger, to become safer in safeguarding terms and in, in the way that they deliver the, the, the program and to become sustainable. And our job in that is to support them. It's a clear prioritization of uh, the, the development of um, athletes and their journey through the sport. And when I say athletes, I mean that both in the sense of real athletes and any player who might not regard themselves as an athlete, uh, which is me at the moment, by the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, at one point, I would have regarded myself as an athlete. I certainly don't now. Um, but it's about players' journey through the sport, making sure that players who are introduced to the sport have a fulfilling experience and have the outlets that they need. And particularly as well, that it, um, our sports talent development doesn't disenfranchise um, young people because of their financial means. Um, we also have a key emphasis in there, and, and I say this in British baseball, but a lot of other people don't understand it, on homegrown players. And the, the, the term homegrown players are players that live in this country who come up through our club structure and, and making sure that they are given as good a shot at making uh, a successful run at their career as they can have. And that might mean making the national team. That might mean making the junior squads like some of us did. That might mean making uh, a college placement like so many players are doing in our, in our programs. That might mean going playing club baseball in Europe, or it might just be actually, you know what, we had a really good experience and we're going to be the next uh, you know, coach or the next person who sets up a softball team in, my, in, our, in our, our older age or the next Charlie Bathro, you know, any of that. It's, it's about a really good fulfilling experience and keeping people energized and educated within the sport. And the fourth priority uh, within the strategy is really just about making sure that we're sustainable. So that, you know, uh, we don't we don't have to rely on the government uh, investment into the sport. We can multiply that up through just smart things like uh, the whole thing around Farnham Park is about keeping money in the sport. We're not paying other people to rent our fields, but we're keeping that in the sport, and it goes into the upkeep of the fields. We're not paying we're not paying Costa to have a sandwich or a cup of coffee. We're paying someone who, you know, the proceeds of which come back into the running of the the, the sport. We're a not for profit we should take advantage of that. And how do we, how do we also fundraise? Uh, you know, there's some really good discussions about how we fundraise and, and um, uh, I, I've got some certain people who um, I'd like to talk to about, you know, society golf days to fundraise and how we might be able to do some, some kind of good initiatives to, to, to really kind of put some valuable pounds in, in the pockets of people who need it. So yeah. those are the key things. Um, the how will come. Um, I think the key things that I already can see around the how is the first, the first part of the how is we've got to develop uh, sports-specific development plans. This is the nitty-gritty. How do, what are baseball's competition needs, club development needs, youth development needs, school needs, facility needs? How do they differ in Scotland, in Wales, and in England? Do they differ between the north of England, the northeast, the southwest of England, and, and London? How do we capture that nitty-gritty of what we need as a sport? Um, and developing that, I think it, this isn't a plan that I want. 
This is a plan that I think baseball will need and has an opportunity to own. And we can play a role in making sure this happens, but the content of that is not ours to own. If the content of that is the baseball community's to own. And similarly, fast pitch and, and slow pitch need the same. So we're gonna go through a process uh, over the coming months of developing those plans with the community and with anyone that will talk to us. And, and our starting point will be all the, all the chartered clubs. Um, the um, the chart is a very interesting one, actually. Um, so for for some time, we've been struggling with how we, we're, we're the safeguarding lead for baseball and softball, and that's one of the delegated functions uh, from the British Baseball Federation, the British Softball Federation. And um, because of that, we have kind of all statutory responsibilities to make sure that there are processes and policies in place. Um, but when a lot of the clubs were leaving the BBF and setting up on their own, we had a, a little bit of a conundrum. We, we felt actually we can't offer our safeguarding services to them because there's no chain of command. There's no commitment from those clubs to the safeguarding responsibilities and there's no uh, kind of recourse if they don't follow our safeguarding policies. We don't know who they are. There's no particular contact. So when we were developing the charter, we said, well, let's put together what we can offer as a carrot, which is the, our development support. We can offer that free of charge is what we you know, we get that from our, our, our funding that we receive from Sport England and from the money we raise ourselves. And if we couple that with a commitment to the safeguarding responsibilities, then we can also offer that same safeguarding responsibility across the totality of the sport. So suddenly we were able to turn around to clubs that are playing in the BBL or the Southwest or the West Midlands League or, or even Scotland and say, okay, here's what we're going to offer you. We're going to offer you a direct contact with us, all of these support systems. Uh, that's all free. There's no catch to that. The only catch that uh, and all the safeguarding stuff, the only catch, the only thing that you're signing up to is the safeguarding standards that we've set for the total totality of the sport. And, and um, so we did that. We, we got to that point. And then we thought, well, hang on a second. There are all of these clubs that are inside the Baseball Federation of BBF, inside the BSF, who are affiliated to them. And what do we do with them in the charter? And actually, in many ways, the charter doesn't change anything for them. Um, I was having a conversation with John Falazio last week and he said, this is all the same stuff. What's new? Uh, Dave Martin Byers asked the same question. It's like, what's new about this? And it's, there's actually, it, there's not a lot of fundamental new stuff in there around the, the, for, the, for the clubs that are already part of the, the BBF and BSF. They're already bound by the safeguarding responsibilities through their, 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 their national governing bodies, membership of Baseball Software UK, and they already have access to the development services. But in order to have everyone in the same system, we thought a charter would be a really good thing. So we're automatically enrolling all of the federations members in the charter through their national federations membership of Baseball Software UK, and then asking everyone else to opt into it. So um, fundamentally, what that means is that um, we've seen a, we've, we've got a common charter point across everyone in the sport. There's a common uh, uh, understanding of what the charter means. When you go to a local authority, you know, if you're a chartered club, you can use the charter mark to put it on your letterhead and the local authority will understand that you're signed up to the safeguarding and that you have the support of the National Development Agency in, in, in growing and developing the sport. So that, that's what the, the charter is. And we've just had fundamentally good traction to that. I think we're sitting at uh, 12 clubs have chartered in 24 hours. Or, no, sorry, 48 hours. I don't want to overstate that. 48 hours since we launched on Monday. Um, well, clubs have signed up and obviously all of the clubs in the, the BBF and the BSF are already auto-enrolled and we're, we, uh, we're expecting that the Scotland's going to come in any day. There's really good traction in 
in, in the West Midlands League, um, active discussions with the Southwest and all the others. So um, I, I'm hoping that very, very soon we'll have uh, an almost complete set of, of uh, clubs chartered uh, to the development charter. Yeah, lovely. Um, after the release of the, the charters online, uh, the British Baseball Federation sent out a counter message saying that they um, didn't agree with some of the stuff that was in it. I can't remember it word for word, so I won't try and quote anything. <laughs> but they they pretty much distanced themselves from the charter, saying that they had no involvement in it. Uh, if anyone wants to check it out, it's, um, the, the tweets are out there for people to see. It's, it's not my place to sort of get involved in it. Um, have you had a chance to see the what, what's been said and is there any sort of response to it? Yeah, no, I have. Um, just to uh, just to be clear, it was, uh, as as I understand it, a response to the strategy, not to the charter. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think uh, you know, I think we we put out a, a counter statement which uh, was intentionally succinct and and brief, which is that we're disappointed with that because um, you know the the British Baseball Federation board was consulted all the way through the strategic review. They had uh, interviews with the consultants. They were and uh, they were given the chance to feed into the review as were all of their members. And at every stage through the development of the, the plan, we shared the, the, the strategy with them. Um, you know, I think the, the British Baseball Federation as the British Softball Federation have all membership rights available to them to put board members on our board, to, uh, uh, to attend general meetings and annual general meetings, to put their, their points forward. And together, they have 100% control over baseball, what Baseball Software UK does. Um, and I think that that means that um, fundamentally, the, 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 the member, their membership of, British, of Baseball Software UK is the thing that uh, gives them that, that opportunity to be engaged in, in, in the strategy. And uh, we've afforded every opportunity to them in exactly the same way as uh, we have the British Softball Federation. And it was helpful that the British Softball Federation put out um, their clarity that they've had every opportunity and it, it's been exactly the same opportunity to both organizations to be involved. Whether or not they've taken it up uh, is a different question, but uh, fundamentally, this is a strategy for the, the whole of British baseball and British softball together. Um, and it's very disappointing to see that they've distanced themselves from it. Um, but we're, we're hopeful that this is, it's, it's pretty clear. There's nothing in that strategy that uh, I, I think the grassroots would argue with. It's a, those four priorities of growing the sport, you know, working with clubs and making sure that the links between schools and clubs and clubs and universities and universities back to clubs is all there. Talent development and making sure it's, it's a healthy environment as we talk about and, and making sure that the financial health and support are all good. There's nothing to argue with there. I can't see why that would not be in the best interest of uh, British baseball and softball. And, and, and certainly nobody's told me anything otherwise. So, um, you know, I think that it, it, now's really the time that we, we come together as a community and now's really the time that we look forward and, and we can project into, in, into what we want the sport to be because so much energy is being lost to having to deal with kind of a retrospective, a retrospective view. And, and I just really hope that the positivity around the, the community can really be channeled towards good and positive and productive things. Thank you very much. Uh, so what's next? Uh, so next, um, we one of the hidden secrets, and it's in the strategy for those who have been uh, smart enough to spot it, <laughs> is that we are, um, uh, we are launching a, a facility and field fund. 
we haven't done the groundwork yet uh, to set this up. So it'll be over the next six week sprint uh, to set up the actual fund itself. Uh, but we're, we're, a few years ago, we, um, we invested, we got some capital investment from Sport England and we invested directly into facilities across British baseball and softball. And of note within baseball, uh, we put in 10,000 pounds to heart to, to fund their, uh, their outfield fencing and backstop and infields. We put £10,000 into uh, the backstops at the London Mets in Finsbury Park. We put uh, £5,000 to build the backstop at Leicester. Uh, we put some money uh, into uh, just helping get the Brighton Field set back up when they first came around through John Sayers. Um, and, you know, those, those, those grant investments, and, and we weren't the only people putting in. Partly what we were able to do there was get the clubs to fundraise and connect into the community. Part of those investments were really important to the clubs because they they added things that are still being used. I mean, I was running past Finsbury Park the other day. The backstops are all there. When Major League Baseball dropped into uh, to Finsbury Park to, to kind of have a uh, put on their big celebs and influencers day that you might have seen on social media, yeah. all of the the backstops that were co-funded by us had the MLB branding on, and there was that's really important to the sport. So we're introducing a fund that's uh, a design will be designed to. Um, really help local clubs get what they need. And the point of this isn't, uh, this isn't lights and um, sta stadia. This is infields, mounds, uh, in uh, installing the, the clay of an infield or a backstop. It may stretch towards dugouts and how you can sink those, <laughs> but fundamentally it's meant to be a really easy to access uh, scheme that, that clubs can say, you know, hey, we, we want to relay an infield. We know it's going to cost two grand. We raise 500 from the council, we raise 500 ourselves, will you pick up a grand of it? And we'll go, yep, there you go. And that'll be available to any charter clubs. And the whole point of that is, you know, that that's gonna, that's gonna reach the grassroots. And we made a commitment to, to invest in a number of projects. I won't tell you how many, it's in the strategy, that's your teaser. Um, we're also putting in our own, we haven't managed to uh, raise any capital for this from, from uh, other sources, but we'll put our own money into that year on year. Cool. Thank you very much. And now to the bit that we've all been waiting for, it's the listener questions. Thank you very much for a great insight there, Johnny, into BSU's Kane strategy. Anders Joannes from Norwich Iceney has asked, how will BSUK ensure that grassroots baseball gets the quality of coaching needed to progress the game across the country and what efforts are currently being taken to provide support of that nature? Oh, that's a great question. Um, and I love it. I mean, to, to my point that I made earlier in the show, um, I think coaching is one of the, the most difficult things to find, quality coaching in, in uh, British baseball, uh, and, and I will particularly cite British fast pitch as well, is such a challenge. Um, finding people who have the knowledge and skills is not an easy, easy thing. Um, I think there's, a, there's also another challenge, which is um, if we are to raise the quality of coaching in this country and in the environment, British sport has an ethos of education has an ethos of levels of coaching. And it doesn't chime with um, the, the kind of levels, of the, the approach that particularly North America, no, I won't say North America, Canada does have the same approach as us. Um, the US doesn't have that same kind of, you will go through a level one, two, three, four, five qualification. I mean, I'm still blown away that FA, uh, sorry, Premier League uh, coaches are required to go through a level five, I guess, uh, FA coaching qualification. I'm blown away by that. Um, we don't have the same system in the U.S. Uh, as the U.S. We have a very different one. And I think one of the challenges that we have is the, the people most likely to have the coaching knowledge won't necessarily expect to go through a coaching qualification system. 
And I think, um, you know, the, the coaching system that we've had, um, when I was first involved, uh, the BBF had a three level coaching system that was reworked and reworked and reworked since baseball software UK's had the same. We've reworked that we've reworked that we've really concentrated of late on an activator course to, to try and make it, to try and put on a, a, a coaching qualification that is fundamentally aimed at the, giving the beginner a really awesome experience. And by that, it's, it's fun, it's engaging, it's less technical, but it, it's the thing that you don't walk away from. Uh, and the thing that you, if you do walk away from you, you, you're really kind of coming back and going, I want more of that. And that's the point of the activator course. I think um, we we're going through one of our, one of our sprints um, and, and Liz Knight, who's on our, our staff, uh, a former baseball player, she often gets mistaken as only a softball player because um, let's face it, that's the stereotype that a lot of people fall into. Yeah. Um, but no, Liz, Liz played baseball. She played, uh, she played fast pitch, she played slow pitch. She's, at, she's technically overseeing a lot of the work of the rewrite of uh, some of our coaching qualifications. We have the coach summit that we've been running year on year um, that we, we quite heavily subsidize and bring in speakers from across the world with multiple different partnerships with ISG, who are fantastic. The International Sports Group um, provide clinicians. Um, we've had uh, really fantastic speakers. If you want any more information, please go to our website on that. That's been a really good uh, kind of uh, coaching experience at the end of, end of January for both baseball and, and softball together. Um, and we also have a coach license and a, a scheme as well, where we're providing insurance and that assurance through the, the DBS check and the, the, the compliance side of things uh, as well. And, uh, you know, I think that the way that we will help uh, clubs develop their coaching is um, as part of that relationship manager discussion, um, we will talk, sit down with clubs and say, okay, so what are your priorities? Well, we want to get to 60 members. Okay. Do you have enough coaches for 60 members? No, we don't. Okay. So if we can bring a course to you, then how will that help? Can you find the coaches? No, we can't. Okay. Can we find other sports who might have coaches who will translate? We've also made particular um, efforts to um, uh, 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 recognize past experience within the qualification. So that recognition, recognition process is really important to be able to maintain a uh, a standard of qualification that, that, that is aligned to the uh, coaching framework, the UK coaching framework, and being able to take um, that prior knowledge and prior learning and say, how does that translate? Well, okay, you don't need a technical course. We might need to catch you up on your safeguarding requirements or how you are a responsible coach. Really helps streamline that. We've done that with some, some really high level people. People have coached in uh, world championships and that sort of thing recently for, for youth teams. And, and we've, We've RFP'd them through the coaching qualification system. So again, if you if you've got that experience, we can walk you through that. Um, but coaching is really important, and the more that uh, coaches, and particularly those that think they already know everything about the sport, engage with coaching, the better. Thank you very much. Uh, oh, Brian, sorry, I, I have one, I have one other point, Matt. Sorry, yeah, I sorry. think COVID COVID will change us. COVID nineteen, we've become a lot more familiar with this uh, on screen and engagement and i think um, the ability to run uh, multiple different easy to access coaching courses from your living room i think will fundamentally help this as well so um i, I think this watch the space i think you there'll, there'll be uh, certainly some some changes and some advancements um but also we can we can we can help uh, we can help with the coaching programs and yeah. getting courses set up and and, and driving that forward Excellent. Lovely. Thank you. Uh, Brian Dodds, uh, what is BSUK doing to promote grassroots baseball 
and what investment is being made to improve baseball infrastructure throughout the UK? Yeah, so um, I mean, baseball via baseball infrastructure throughout the UK. I'm assuming, uh, uh, Brian, you mean the uh, the facility investment and and how we improve it. Um, I think um, we we always said at the beginning that in building Farnham Park and and going through a facility strategy that if Farnham Park was the only thing that came out of our facility strategy and the only piece of infrastructure that that, that we were able to affect uh, positively for British baseball and softball, that we haven't done a good enough job. Uh, and we stand by that. The, the, the idea of having a single location that you can call home is good, but it's not good enough to meet the, 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 the infrastructure needs across baseball. Uh, and I think the, there's a real challenge within baseball, unlike slow pitch softball where you can put lines on a grass field and bases down and play. Baseball requires technical facility um, advancements. You have to locate a field that's yours. You have to put up a backstop, ideally permanently, that might require planning permission. You need a, a surface that's good enough for small ball sport. And, and I think that that challenge is really, uh, it can be a barrier. And, and you, you see how much of a barrier it is by how brilliantly in, uh, and ingeniously um, clubs are responding to this with uh, workarounds. You see scaffolding poles put up uh, to put up backstops. You see mounds being built out, built out of uh, various different things. And I think one of the biggest things we can do is the, the field grant scheme that, that I was talking about to actually create the scheme and fundraise into that scheme that we've got ready-made technical solutions that, that standardize a bit of that. So that when, you know, a Newcastle setting up or Derby's setting up, we can say, oh, you're, you're a new club. How do we, what do you need? Well, we need an infield. We need a, we need a backstop. Okay, let's do this. Let's build it in this way. We've got a supplier that can come in and cut your, your infield in. Maybe instead of us giving you money, we can do a bit of fundraising together. We talk to the council and we'll just pay the supplier to come in and do that work for you so you don't even have to find the volunteers. So there are different ways that we can do this in, in economies of scale. I think what we'll be telling is if people in a few years turn around and recognize that we've had our hand around and supporting those kind of local facility uh, infrastructure pieces. Um, I'm not going to shy away from some one of my regrets and I think it, um, I was checking out what some of the questions coming up might be on, on social media. So I might know some of the questions coming up. Um, but one of the questions I think would might be around regrets and kind of, uh, do I have any regrets? Um, I have one piece of particularly unfinished business. Um, and and that's, that's around another kind of fun and park like infrastructure piece. Um, I went on record a few years ago saying we're committed to building a, a, a facility for baseball and softball in Manchester, um, identifying the Huff End facility that's in South Manchester as a location for that. And I stand by that as an intention, but it's not yet realized. Um, we are continuing to work with the Football Association, with the local authority, Greater, greater Manchester, um, with Greater Sport, the, the County Sports Partnership to realize it. And it's a slow project because of the complexities of it. Um, and you know, I think that uh, the, the expectations around facility projects like this, particularly when they're so big, need to be tempered. Um, these are not things that happen overnight. Um, even Farnham Park, while the journey between us deciding that we were going to write a facility strategy and building the first phase of Farnham Park was probably four years, that's exceptionally quick. Um, we had another project at Northwick Park, with whether and there's some, there's, uh, this is up in Harrow, Northwest London, where we wanted to do a similar kind of project in, in the early 2000s. 
and and that just didn't happen we could we raised only some of the funds big infrastructure pieces are really complex um and i think my appeal to the 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 community is to to be reasonable about their expectations when we're trying to drive things forward that's for a reason and sometimes we might create a bit of hype in order for the parties to get involved and excited by this um, but sometimes that hype is you know get, becomes bogged down in in difficulties so um yeah, in terms of the infrastructure, I think we need more. We need more facilities that are like Farnham Park that are long-term secured. We've got 25-year lease on Farnham Park. We need to extend that up to 50 years. How do we find facilities where we can get long-term tenure? How do we work with Bristol to to build what they what they see as their their own mini Farnham Park? And we had a conversation with them earlier this week. How do we work with the London Mets who are having a capacity problem because they've got uh, one of the best located fields, but also smallest fields in all of British baseball. Um, and then they, they've got too much demand. How do we find, uh, how do we re regenerate and, and help re, uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, how do we help the, the facility up at Enfield that's been played on since the eighties in British baseball? How do we get that back up to uh, scratch? How do we make sure that they're too, yeah, that's what we want to do. And that's what we will work. With the with the clubs, the charter clubs, to to achieve throughout our facility project. Um, there were two parts to that question. What was the first part, Matt? Uh, it was what is BSUK doing to promote grassroots baseball, and what investment is being made to improve baseball infrastructure throughout the UK? Yeah, I mean, I think the the promoting grassroots baseball is our commitment to work with baseball clubs uh, on the ground to do that, and. I think that the reason that I'm focusing on that is because it, it won't be us that bring the next players to the field directly. I mean, if, if our staff, whether they're located in the, the London office or uh, in their own homes across the country, are not going to be the people on the ground. Um, so what we can do is we can make sure that the, the, the local organizations are ready to receive them. Um, the RFU, when they hosted the Rugby World Cup a few years ago, uh, set up a number of different club initiatives. And fundamentally what they learned and, uh, from that was there was a huge influx of players into the club structure, but the club structure wasn't ready to receive them. And they saw the boom and uh, bust is too strong a word, but lots of players moving away. Fundamentally, what we're trying to do is build the infrastructure so when people get there, it's a really good quality experience. And we can't do more than that. We know, and this is not our stat, this is the government's, there are 200,000 teenagers playing baseball and softball in schools in some shape, form or another. You know, they might have wooden bats, tennis balls and three gloves between them. Yeah. But they're playing some form of that. What we need to make sure is there's a link between the school and the club and that when people come to that club, they're having a really good experience. And, and fundamentally, that's the, that's the best thing we can do to promote grassroots baseball. Lovely. Thank you. Um, Karen Peskett has asked, what is BSUK's response to the BFF comments regarding the recently announced strategic plan? It does appear that BSUK and the BFF have a good working relationship. On what steps are BSUK taking to address this? Uh, well, I think I covered the uh, response to the strategic plan uh, earlier in the show. So if you don't mind, I think I'm, I'm going to just uh, kind of talk about the, the, the working relationship. I mean, actually, I'm not. I think it's, it's fundamentally my starting point. I don't think it's in anyone's interest uh, to air our dirty laundry as a sport or for um, Baseball Software UK to do anything but act in the best interest of both of our members together through the sport. Um, I think the important thing really is that uh, we have uh, we have a, two sports, we have three formats, we have 
leagues spread across the country in baseball and in slow pitch and in fast pitch. We have uh, so many different connections, whether it's university baseball and so softball, whether it's um, the, the youth play that's happening and came through uh, some of the fun at bat programs. There's just a real spread of the sport. And um, I, I'm hoping that the totality of the sport can really kind of come together and concentrate its efforts on something positive, as I said earlier. Um, I think in terms of BDO, I, I do want to pick that up, actually. Uh, you know, there have been a handful of people, um, possibly fewer people than I expected, but a handful of people who have kind of got, been in touch and said, okay, the BBF said we should ask for this, you know, smoking gun of a report that's the BDO report. Um, and I just want to address it um, because I'm sure a lot of your listeners don't know what BDO is, what a report is. They're kind yeah, of interested there's a... In there's quite a few questions about the, the BDO. There's quite a lot of people that message and I'm, I'm not really familiar what the BDO is, uh, apart from yeah. I know it was an, an audit of some sort, but that's literally as much yeah. as I, I, I really know about it. Yeah, so um, I think the best way to describe what the BDO report is, is to, to just give a little bit of background information. Um, last year, Baseball Software UK turned over about 1.1 million, just under 1.1 million pounds. Um, of that, we got a, a core grant uh, from Sport England uh, that was under half of that. And we raised the, the rest of the money through <laughs> other sources, some other grant schemes, etc. Mm -hmm. When we turn over that kind of level of um, uh, Sport England fund, uh, grant money and other money, it's uh, incumbent on us to be audited financially every year, which we have. We have uh, auditors that are appointed by our members at our annual general meeting every year. Um, and as a part of that, and in receipt of um, both ex exchequer, which means money from the public purse and lottery funds, um, Sport England and UK Sport have the right to commission audits. Um, the BDO audits are, um, BDO is a, a city firm that does uh, financial and governance audits on companies. And they were appointed by Sport England last year to audit all sports in, uh, in, that are in receipt of public funding. Um, and uh, every sport that is in receipt of public funding uh, through the national governing body stream, which we are, uh, will be audited by BDO once every four years, at least. So this is a routine thing. We've been through multiple different management audits through the years uh, and um, uh, have a clean track record that dates back to 2000 when we were first formed, um, particularly on the financial side. Uh, every, no, every audit that you ever go through and, and uh, I'm not sure, Matt, if you've, you've been through a financial audit or you've seen them in other places, but every audit will always find something wrong because otherwise you turn around and go, well, if they couldn't find something wrong, are they really doing their job properly? Mm -hmm. um, so the BDO audits um, were commissioned last year and they, they, did, they did have some findings and they had some really uh, interesting things and helpful things to reflect, um, which I'll come on to in a second. Um, um, but fundamentally what BDO is, is a due diligence process that Sport England goes through to make sure that the funds they're putting into the sports are in order and uh, properly managed and that the governance requirements that they set through the, the code of sports governance um, are being complied with. And what happened last year was we were having some problems uh, as a board and um, we asked for BDO to come in and audit us. It was on our request. Um, and uh, as a part of that, um, we also put, we put all of the information that we had as an organization, all of our financial policies, procedures, um, all of our financial books, uh, all of our governance procedures, all of the minutes of our meetings in front of BDO. Um, they were in our office for weeks on end, uh, sitting, in, sitting right next to me, hearing every conversation. We've got this fairly dinky office in, in the House of Sport in London where you can hear everything. Um, 
there were multiple different interviews with, with me, with uh, Tim Stride, our head of operations, uh, our governance team, our um, development team, the whole staff. They sat in on staff meetings. They did all of that. And we opened it up totally to, to them through both the finance and governance uh, audit. And we were totally transparent in that. There wasn't a question that we weren't prepared to audit. And uh, were commended on that transparency. It's also, it's always been one of the things that we've been determined to do when, when audited, which is to be honest and open to Sport England. They're our, our primary funders and it's critical to our ongoing relationship with Sport England that we're, we're open and honest and, and transparent with them. Uh, and we didn't hide anything from uh, BDO. Um, the uh, outcome of the BDO report uh, was not uh, unsurprising in any, any regard. They found that our finances were in some areas good and uh, meeting standards. There were some recommendations about our financial controls. They reflected some of the comments that our financial auditors, our year-on-year -year auditors have said, and we have an action plan that's being delivered. No concern there, it's a green traffic light in the RAG rating system. Um, on the governance front, um, unsurprisingly, they found that our uh, governance was not meeting standards. And the key things that they found around our governance not meeting standards, which was what, what triggered this request in the first place from us, come in and have a look at this, was that our board, um, which at the time of BDO reviewing this, had, had reduced down to three members. Um, our board didn't have enough people on it, and there was a problem with getting people on our board and that we needed to rectify that. Um, the observations that I said at the beginning of this around the strategy, we need a strategy, it needs to be documented, it needs to be owned by the board, and that the board needed to have a proactive and um, positive um, a stakeholder engagement plan around the, how we work with our stakeholders, and our stakeholders are Major League Baseball, Sport England, the British Baseball Federation, the British Softball Federation, the Youth Sport Trust, the British Olympic Association, all of them, um, and that we, we need to get ahead of that so that there wasn't any disunity or disjuncture between that. Uh, and, and really on the back of those BDO reports, which were concluded by March this year with an action plan signed off by us and by Sport England, it's, it's, an inter it's, a, it's a document that, that is between us and Sport England. Every sport gets this, none of them publish the, the reports in full. They're not public facing. And partly the reason why they're not public facing is because they contain some sensitive information in there, information about uh, how we do our various different procedures, what we need to work on, and, and uh, contains information about our relationships as well. And I think fundamentally, that's the reason that um, we, we aren't gonna publish the, the BDO reports. We have given it to both of our members, to the BBF and to the BSF, um, under the, the confidentiality that uh, we, you would expect that we would have in place with our members. Um, but there's really no smoking gun there. And um, uh, it's, it's, it's resulted in a, in a robust uh, action plan that our board is working to um, we've managed to repopulate our board. We're up at nine uh, board directors, seven of which are independent. They're all really skilled people from people who run uh, PR and uh, uh, the kind of crisis management for major firms such as or ran it for Boeing and, and, and the like to um, heads of governance and risk for city banks who eat, you know, finances for breakfast um, through to, you know, some of the, the best sports marketeers. So we've got a really skilled board and a really unified board now that's got a clear action plan. And I think the bottom line on all this BDO stuff that, that should give everyone confidence that it's not an issue uh, in terms of the, the wider scheme of things is that there have been two positive uh, outcomes from Sport England who have agreed to invest in us. 
subsequent to the BDO uh, response, two major ones, including an offer to extend our funding through March 2022. That's our core funding. Um, there are definitely, Sporting Hill wants the action plans to be fulfilled and for the stakeholder plans to be in place and for the governance plan to be delivered. But fundamentally, they wouldn't have taken those decisions to continue to invest in us if there was a smoking gun there. Yeah. Um, so I, I do want to reassure the community that this is, um, this is uh, a, a, a distraction from what we should be looking at. And, a, and it's a distraction from what should be a very positive week of looking at a common plan that we can all get behind and you know, the kind of next steps around facility development and around growing the participation in our sport. Yeah, lovely, thank you. A lot of, some of the other BDO stuff that was mentioned as well, uh, we've got like uh, Brian, Kieran, uh, Edward, and there's a few of them, sorry, if, if I missed your name off the list, um, was about the availability of the BDO report, but you said then it's, it's not a, a publicly available document. Is there like a, a censored version without, like you see in spy films with, the black lines <laughs> coming across it. Is, is it oh, yeah, redacted yeah 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 is, is so, it something like that, that people can see or is it is it just a a, a no-go yeah so um the the unusual thing is that we're the only sport that is looking for a public facing document if you like and bdo has not published that because they report directly to sport england um on this um i, I liken this to uh, an ofsted report you know, you get an outcome that okay. you can you know, know about the school, but you wouldn't find out if uh, such and such a teacher was underperforming in such and such a class. You get the outcome and yeah. you get the action points. Uh, and I think fundamentally that that's where this is. I, I have raised with Sport England, you know, hey, we're going through this. This is not a public facing document as it is. Is there a way the BDO could provide a, a summary? Um, but I mean, there. You know, I, I, I dread to think what Sporting England is paying BDO to do these reviews in the first place. I'm not sure that Sporting England is particularly interested in investing more in that just to just duplicate uh, a few people within within one of the one of the sports that it funds. And I, I I think that that's that's the bottom line on this. But I'm I'm more than happy to have a conversation, uh, particularly with those people that are involved in in the the running of clubs. And I'm more than happy to 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 discuss this if the explanation I've just given isn't sufficient to anyone. Okay, okay. Thank you very much. Uh, another question that came through was what are your most what what are you most proud of that BSUK has achieved and what one thing would you wish you'd done better? <laughs> uh, uh, good I'm questions. Gonna, apologies to whoever <laughs> sent that one in but my uh, uh so sorry. <laughs> Uh, no, I love, I love the questions because um, uh, it puts me on the spot. I, the thing I wish I would have done better, I, th I think I've, I've covered in a way, uh, I'm still really disappointed that the Manchester facility hasn't come off. Um, I think the, um, the viability of that, having a second facility, and the vision I had of this Manchester facility is awesome. I'm not sure it's all there, put them plausible, but uh, it, I, have you been to the Manchester half-end playing fields, Matt? Kind of close enough. You might have been down there. No, there's um, a Broughton Park. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Broughton Park Rugby Club, and mm -hmm. there's a really nice floodlit rugby club there, and the expansive grass fields, and there's a police club that the Softball Federation's had its meetings at. And um, I think this vision of a field, uh, a kind of 
a, a baseball softball combo like we have where you can use it for both sports and a, and a youth 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 uh, baseball and a softball field that, that can be used so kind of like one of each a field from Farnham Park there with the police club that has a weights training and an indoor facility and a social space it just it really captured my imagination about being able to have some really kind of awesome facilities for the the, the playing community up there uh, so that's that's one thing. I think there's a missed opportunity in the the the, the vibrancy of the Br Bristol baseball and softball community is really strong, and thinking about a facility there or in the kind of Nottingham surrounds areas is is really helpful. Um, and you know, for Bristol, that's the biggest playing community in baseball and softball outside of London. They've got multiple different softball leagues. They've got a, a strong baseball setup. Um, and it's 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 it, that for me is a, a real opportunity and I, I yeah I think the um, th that's where I think there's a there's an opportunity in terms of the things I'm proud of I'm I'm really proud of what baseball softball UK has done for the sports I think bringing baseball and softball together and if you if you don't look at this from just a baseball perspective you look at it from a baseball softball and community perspective I think you start seeing where we've made real inroads. We have really strong connections with the school games. We have a uh, university, God, I never thought I'd see this, a university um, uh, endorsement through the Bucks program for both baseball and softball. That was yeah. something I was working on when I was 20 and uh, green in the tooth first joining the BBF board and so many other people have worked on since me. John Irving and Luke Stott did a great um, blog on it and, and other people to get there. That's been such a team effort. That I'm, I'm really proud of our part in it. And I, again, I, I'm not saying that's, that's purely down to us, but the influence that we brought. Um, and uh, there are just so many things like that. And I'm, I'm proud of how we've presented the sports together. Um, I love Farnham Park. Uh, it's got a long way to go to be the facility uh, it deserves to be. But I can remember days when we didn't have a national facility. Um, and the last one I'd cite is um, a, a little side project, which was going after um, uh, investment from Sport England into our talent program. That was something that I was determined that we were able to do uh, and um, to try and bring some investment into the, the academy and the high performance academy. And being a, it's not a lot of money. Uh, it's 40 odd thousand pounds a year from Sport England, but it helps subsidize the, the high performance academy in the academy. It helps um, pay the costs of coaches getting around the country and making sure that the the coaches that are involved in that, particularly the, the lead coaches get some kind of honorarium. It helps pay for facility hire, which is so expensive. Um, but, it, but most of all, the, the players that we've seen come through that and um, the players that then have gone on to get the sports aid funding or the backing the best funding, again, which we were able to, to secure from the sports, those are, those are huge and those are really kind of impactful things. So. I'm sorry I don't have a, a more concise one. I, I'm very proud of a lot of the things that we've done. Um, I get a buzz when I you know, run past Finsbury Park and see the backstops. And I get a buzz from seeing the places that we've had an impact. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's just a, it's a really great organization to be a part of. Uh, but fundamentally the best people you, will, you, know, you could wish to have on your team. Um, and, and just, uh, yeah, very proud of all of that. Cracking, thank you. Um... Edward's also asked, uh, he asked a couple of questions. What are the plans, if any, as it's not been listed as a priority to develop baseball umpiring in the strategic plan? Well, I've got a nod to them here. If anyone was wondering what was behind me, it's three baseball umpires 
from I guess the 1950s, uh, seeing I think it's COVID coming down from this from the sky, uh, wearing their face masks um, for, the, for the time being. Uh, look, umpiring is always a, a question that comes up, and I, I, I had a conversation with um, one of our LGBTQ plus panel members, Tom Hayward, who's a baseball umpire, uh, about this, and uh, Tom's been brilliant on the, the the panel, and he's also been uh, a great advocate of uh, baseball in in Scotland and across uh, across the UK and Europe. And he he raised the question to me. He said, "You're missing a trick here. And it's not just uh, umpiring; it's also offici it's officiating and scoring as well." And I agree with him. I think it's really hard um, to run a, a good solid baseball club if you don't have any umpires and if you have uh, umpires who are not confident in their uh, abilities and maybe who lose your confidence in their abilities. And, and to, to the point, and you asked the question about, you know, have I applied stuff of what I've learned? Well, the reason I was calling everyone in that BBF handbook was to see if anyone would be willing to umpire my youth games because I didn't have anyone. So I get it. Um, I think the difficulty right now is it's just not, it's not a delegated responsibility to baseball soccer the UK. It remains the responsibility of the BBF and the BSF uh, within their domains. Um, it's one of those uh, areas that we're supposed to be working together and they're supposed to consult with us on. Um, and I welcome those kind of active discussions uh, with uh, uh, umpiring within the two sports. Um, within uh, the BBF, I think there's, uh, Gabor's been doing a fantastic job of uh, kind of uh, making sure that umpiring has been lifted and kind of educated and connected through the webinars. And, um, yeah. you know, I think, uh, I think that's great. Uh, within softball, um, Bastu is is uh, so competent in the development of umpires that I, you know there's only mm. probably stuff around the edges that we could do. But I'm certainly open to to figuring out ways of you know, kind of like the, the the development charter, finding ways to help fundraise, to provide support, to connect into uh, organisations like um, uh, Sports Officials UK. We introduced the the BBF uh, uh, to a few years ago and got them in membership of. Uh, so yeah, I think there are ways that we can we can do that. Um, but yeah, it's not going to be a core responsibility, but it, it definitely matters, and uh, we're happy to happy to add our weight where we can. Thank you, thank you very much. Um, how are the results from previous funding cycles collated and fact checked? Fact checked, yeah, okay. So every um, it, sport funding typically works on a four-year period. We're talking about in in this instance their two main four-year cycle uh, organisations, uh, UK Sport, who funds uh, the Olympic and uh, national team kind of set up, but they they typically only fund um, the uh, Olympic medal hopes. Uh, I'll come back to them in a second. And Sport England, who fund grassroots sport. In England, unfortunately, Sports Scotland doesn't have the same kind of grassroots sport uh, approach, and we're working with Paul Convoy and with um, uh, the Scottish uh, softball setup to try and uh, um, have a, a proper engagement with Scotland. But fundamentally, it's it's about um, Sport England and UK Sport. Yeah. Um, typically, what that what happens is you put in a funding application. That funding application sets a number of kind of key performance measures, um, outcomes and you are tracked on a half yearly basis through the delivery of those outcomes. And there's a, there's a tracker. We sit down with Sport England and UK Sport on a half yearly basis. Um, they ask how, the, how we're progressing. We tell them, we show them, and they verify that that information is sufficient. Both of those organizations are um, national audit office audited. They have um, very strict policies and procedures. 
uh, and our whole system has to kind of go through a process to be verified as uh, proper use of money and in line with that. Our auditors also, our, fin our financial auditors also go through the proper use check, which is we're using the funds for what they were given for. Um, so all of that's, that's done and it's, it's done on a continual basis. Um, so when we turn around and we say, these are the measures that we're going to do, we agree them with Sport England, um, our participation measures are key one of those, um, and we deliver against it. And if we don't deliver against it, we have to explain why and what, what we're going to do to rectify it. And they have the option to pull back funding. And uh, to this point, they have never taken back funding or, or uh, defunded us in any of the areas. And, and that does, uh, it sounds like a negative, but it's, it does speak volumes. Almost, uh, I can name a lot of other sports that have had problems with their funding through the years. And we just haven't been one of them. So that's really cr crucial. Um, yeah. Thank you very much. Cheers. Um... Are there any comments on why the two fields at Farnham Park are woefully underused by baseball? And if it's cost, if cost is cited, why are the field higher prices so restrictive? Yeah, um, so I, I get this question a lot and I, I do understand it. And I, um, I think, look, um, from my perspective, I think there are two parts to this. Um, the first one is if you hear that um, hiring a baseball field is 200 pounds a day, you sit there going, oh, that's 200 pounds a day. <clears throat> um, and I get that that can feel like a lot. It's, it kind of goes back to, you know, is, is a five pound pint cheap or expensive? Uh, last night I paid six pounds 20 for one in London. If, you know, it's, it's a five pound pint cheaper or expensive in Salford, it's expensive, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah at different yeah. tolerance levels. There are, yeah, okay. Um, the different tolerance levels, the different um, kind of uh, perceptions to this. And when we were setting up Farnham Park, uh, we went to some of the local organizations and they said, well, we pay 200 pounds for that grass field over there per year. So you're charging 200 pounds there. We, we can get that for 200 pounds. Like, yeah, you can. But we built a field with no, uh, no investment at all from the grassroots of the sport. We didn't go cap in hand to each of the organizations. We built a 600,000 pound facility um, and all we're asking you to do is pay 200 pounds towards an infield, sunken dugouts, a permanent outfield fence that has warning tracks, a proper height backstop, etc. Um, so that, look, I'm not dismissing that it might feel expensive to some, um, but I, I think it needs to be the focus of that needs to be borne in mind. And what we were trying to do with this wasn't create a club facility. It's ideal if we can get a club based in there. And we tried with the Farm Park based on Softball Club. Uh, and we will continue to try and get a club based there. Um, but it's, it's basically supposed to be the national center, uh, the national home of uh, British baseball and softball. And it's supposed to be used for national championships and for showcase games and for when GB plays. And, uh, and, and that's the point of the facility. Um, so part of our pricing point has been to, to mark to that. Um, but fundamentally, we're a not-for-profit. Farnham Park is heavily still subsidized by, um, by Baseball Softball UK. The staffing costs around the administration uh, of it are still picked up by Baseball Softball UK. So it's losing year-on-year twenties uh, and thirties of thousands of pounds still. And what we're doing is where any money that is, is charged for the fields gets recycled in. So when softball tournaments come in, and hire all of the fields, including the corners of the baseball fields, that's putting money to, and substantial money back into help the staffing of it and the upkeep of the facility. 
yeah. when when the softball tournaments come in, and this is part of the question about that balance between baseball and softball, and have big parties on Friday nights and Saturday nights, we're getting thousands of pounds put back into the running of the, of the Farnham Park facility by those parties. And I think there needs to be an appreciation, and this is where I get a little bit lectury from baseball, that a lot of what softball does on the site help makes, helps make the site, baseball and softball, the quality that it is. Is it a good enough quality yet? No, it needs to get better. It's a very good quality facility, but it needs to get better. And we can only do that when everyone understands that that, that has to come with an appropriate kind of contribution. Um, just to also point out, um, we did an analysis last year of the kind of usage. Um, so slow pitch softball used the site 46% of the time. Baseball used the site 40% of the time. And there was 14% of the time used for fast pitch. So when you look at it across the formats, which was designed for the three formats, um, there's pretty extensive use there. Um, and I think what we've seen actually in, in uh, lockdown and, and coming out of lockdown, the easing of lockdown is we're, we're operating at, uh, at very high levels of capacity and so many baseball clubs are backing up and running in. We've a lot more baseball being played right now than, than softball on the site. And we've also dropped the rate um, to help encourage people to get back and keep their habits for 30 pounds an hour, which is, uh, dirt cheap so you know i think fundamentally what we've been doing is just trying to facilitate and that's a special one-off don't quote me on it kind of deal but we're trying to encourage people to get back and playing yeah. uh, in the sport but but also ask for a bit of understanding and appreciation for for what we're trying to do with farnham park thank you um paul stewart i'm guessing he's a mate of yours how come you went <laughs> one four against me i'm guessing there's a story there uh, 0 for 4 against Paul Stewart. First of all, prove it, mate. Um, second of all, uh, the thing you need to know about Paul Stewart is he is at least 25 years older than me. So when I was facing him, he must have been in his uh, late 30s. Like, um, yes, that, that probably, maybe early 40s even. Uh, and the thing I struggled with uh, hitting against it, sorry, the other thing you need to know is he's left-handed and very funky. And the thing you need to know about him is um, he, he, hitting off him is, for me, the same as playing golf. The ball's just sitting there going, hit me, hit me, hit me, and I, I will swing and miss it. But I have never swung and missed four golf balls in a row, and I've definitely never swung and missed four of Paul Stewart's pitches in a row. Um, Paul, if you're listening, this is laying it out. You're, you're a captain of a uh, very lush golf club in uh, Surrey, how about a society day to fundraise for some of our facility schemes or, or our talent program? There's the challenge. Uh, Willington, lovely Willington, has asked, uh, there have uh, historically been some amazing youth programs run by BSUK in partnership with Major League Baseball and the British Baseball Federation. Pitch hit and run in schools, play ball in communities and the Envoy Coach program that brought US coaches to UK during the summer. What plans are there in place to bring any of these back? And what will BSUK do differently to ensure the success is sustained beyond the lifetime of the program? Yeah, so um, look, I, I, Major League Baseball needs to speak for themselves. I can talk to what we're doing and how we're, we're working to, uh, to support Major League Baseball's efforts, but it's really down to them to, to release their plans and talk about it. I think there is a difference between the Major League Baseball now and the Major League Baseball that did all of those things. The Major League Baseball uh, of the past was 
was much more like the ethos that baseball software UK has tried to carry on, but without Major League Baseball's financial resource, which is around sports development in its totality, understanding that getting kids playing in, in effectively the play ball program was a, a little league kind of setup, a little league like program where you could have a local league and get it going. And in fact, the, the, the program that uh, Jonathan Crammon and Liam Morrison and a number of others came through in uh, the London Mets and uh, was set up under the London Meteors as a play ball program. And that was very much an ethos um, of Major League Baseball at the time. Um, I think Major League Baseball's evolved and um, uh, become much more um, around a kind of marketeer. And I mean this in the most po positive sense, uh, a powerhouse in marketing and, and reaching new audiences. Some of what we saw at the uh, Finsbury Park, uh, the, their influences day on social media was they're getting celebrities involved and they're trying to engage a community that we haven't got access yeah. to. Uh, as our former chair, John Wormsley would say, yeah, okay, maybe there are 25,000, 26,000 people playing baseball and softball regularly in teams. Maybe there are 200,000 kids in schools. But what about the other 60 million people in this country? And I think fundamentally that's what Major League Baseball is speaking to right now. Um, and I think they're doing that with the food fest and the, the kind of um, the, I mean, even the, the battlegrounds where they took over the 4th of July festival, the summertime festival in Hyde Park. It's just very different and it's, it's, it's inspiring and exciting. Um, but we are also talking to them about what some of those things that we can leave behind are. And we, we, we're licensed to run the Fun Abat program, which is a school program uh, developed by USA Baseball and uh, Major League Baseball. And um, it's a school's program for baseball and softball. It's a really good entry level. We're talking to them about how we make sure it keeps going post-COVID. Um, we're making sure that we're, we're having discussions about how we can extend schools programs across the country. Uh, we would love to see some uh, kind of uh, further, further kind of uh, development of um, the, the club structure and the facility structure. And, you know, I think Major League Baseball is committed to being here and being in this market. The UK is a priority market for them and will continue to be for the next decade. Um, so the key thing is how financially they can ride through the challenges that this year has brought and how we make sure that we've got um, robust programs that link to clubs, that link to universities, that link to schools and link all of them together. And, and that's, that's very much where, where we've been in terms of our discussions with Major League Baseball. And, and I'm, I'm very happy to say that they're very much on the same page as us. Yeah. Um, another question is coming from, from John. Uh, it appears baseball hasn't grown over the last number of years. What could BSUK do better to address this? So um, I think the, the key things around the growth of baseball um, is, uh, is understanding that not everyone will want to play in a club home and away setup. Uh, not everyone will want to travel from uh, Guildford to uh, Plymouth to play a game. That's not a viable scenario. Um, so we have to come up with new structures and we have to come up with new ways of doing things. And I think that that can happen in different, on different axes. Um, I think the, the, the first axis is, can you do more localized stuff? Can you have pickup games? You know, there's, there's some discussion about some pickup games. If we get some of those games going at Farnham Park and we'd love to help, help support that. There you know, clubs that are, yeah, I think the London Mets have done uh, four balls as a heart. There are lots of different ways you can make it really accessible, but I think fundamentally baseball needs to understand that traveling for two hours, getting to a field, warming up for two hours, 
playing two very long games of a double header that have multiple di different walks and high scoring experiences and then driving home or, or worse, instead of driving, instead of spending all their time setting up a field, it's really difficult to make, to keep people's passion going through. Um, and I think that means we have to energize the sport a bit. We have to look at different ways of presenting ourselves and present and, and getting people access to it. So I think fundamentally it's, a, it's about making sure that the experience that everyone has is really good. And, and I think clubs have the, a vital role of doing that. Um, I think we've also seen um, a lot of clubs grow, form and fold. And I think from our side, we can help those clubs form as I've detailed in the kind of charter stuff, help them stay when they're having trouble, which I've detailed in the charter stuff. And sometimes where we can see them and spot the crisis, um, we might be able to bring them back from the brink. And we've done that a few times. Um, and we've, we've really helped a number of different clubs over different ages. Um, a prime example of that is the kind of demise and then the reclimb of Croydon Pirates and that sort of thing. And we've been there, and I'm not taking credit for whether or not they reformed, but we've been there supporting them all the way through the journey. I think the, it, the rest of the community also has a role to play that. We, each of us can do what people did for me when I was setting up Windsor. How can I help? What can I do? Okay, I can be there. Uh, and I think that's crucial. I also think there's a way that by seeing ourselves as one community, we can see a real kind of um, a, a, a development of and a celebration of people playing, playing the sport, whether it's baseball or fast pitch or slow pitch. And one of the things that I was awesome, actually, this might be one of my favorite highlights of this year, was seeing how many volunteers came out from across baseball and the slow pitch and the fast pitch community to volunteer at Farnham Park yeah. at a very social distance way to make sure that the facility was kept up to scratch and they just gave their time that's the sort of thing that can come out of a vibrant embracing of the communities together and, and going yes baseball has its 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 place here and it's brilliant but let's also celebrate baseball fast pitch and slow pitch and uh, you know we're seeing more and more baseball and softball clubs whether it's Chichester softball and baseball club or Bracknell baseball and softball club or Guildford or there's so many clubs that are coming out that are doing the two sports and the more that you can embrace that the more and I, I hate to say this the more you can move away from a kind of white male to the 25 to 40 year old demographic and you can build that out to include women to include uh people from bame um backgrounds to include uh, the lgbt community uh to include uh, just making sure that we can include people who have disabilities whether it's learning or hearing which we have a lot of um that's where the vibrancy of the sport comes from it doesn't just sit there going well we can't get anyone because yeah. so i think it's it's fundamentally about pulling together on that and, and embracing the opportunities that are out there Awesome, thank you. Um, how do you work with federations on development? We touched on some of that throughout the, the show. Is there anything you'd like to expand on? Yeah, so um, for, for development, we, uh, we create the strategy. We've seen the strategy. Uh, we consult with them. Uh, we lay out uh, a number of the different priorities. Uh, and then we go and try and get some money from government to help do that. And when we get money from government, that helps us um, it's kind of like the extra supercharged areas of work. Um, and uh, we then go, go and deliver that. And we, we, we offer both of the, the federations um, uh, the opportunity to put uh, up to two board members on our board to come and sit with us multiple different times during the year at general meetings. Uh, we have asked both organizations what their development plans are and their strategic priorities uh, and where those are provided, which they're, they're often not. Um, we we incorporate those into what we're doing okay thank you um another question is how is the sport england money spent and what will you do if no money is forthcoming from sport england 
is a cheap yeah so the great yeah exactly and the great news is uh, sport england's uh, extended our funding through march 2022 they are they're implementing a new strategy uh, and they want to make sure that all sports are applying in line with that uh, and we will you know position our our strategy ourselves in line with the sporting stuff to have the best possible chance of continuing to be invested in sport england invests in three three streams of funding for us talent uh which is uh if you give me i'm just going to look it up about forty thousand pounds a year uh so talent is about forty thousand pounds a year that they put in and then we go out and get some extra funds uh this uh this current year it's thirty eight thousand seven hundred and fifty um they put in one hundred eighty nine thousand pounds into back office and what that covers is our safeguarding function our finance um the intersection with sport england the management the responsibilities that we have our governance uh and contributes to our office uh, and then they also put in uh 298,000 pounds to the development of the sport which goes um on our development staff as i talked about we're a human human resource as much as a as, as a physical uh and practical resource uh, and also to our development programming we that all adds up to 525,750. Did you do your maths? Uh, um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was at keeping count. Uh, <laughs> And then uh, through that, we're yeah, exactly. And then through that, we're able to go out and get other grant money, um, generate some some income from our other streams, and that all then um, pulls us up to the the uh, operating on normal years, not this year, pulls us up to about the 1.1 million turnover point. Cool. Thank you. Um, as a development agency, how do federations judge you on your successes? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, look, the, when you sit down over a four-year period and you write a, a plan, um, that's what you get judged against. Um, and I think the, the key point here is that uh, we're a two-member organization. Uh, and uh, as a two-member organization, it's, 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 it's very, it's often like a marriage, right? Um, you, you, both, both organizations need to agree in order to, to have forward progress. And if one doesn't agree, <laughs> it can stymie um, it can stymie that forward progress. Um, but fundamentally, I think what, you know, what governs us as an organization is the, that we are baseball and softball together and that our interests are always to, to, to operate in the best interests of the sports together. It's not that one has more influence over the other. And fundamentally, the board's responsibility is to make sure that there is a robust, well uh, consultate, consulted on plan that has a, a basis that has a line of sight to uh, talking to the members, to uh, talking to the playing population. And that when we do that, we've also got the measures in place that we're performing to, and that that's then, um, you know, a, 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 the opportunity to actively discuss that with us is, is there for either of the members, which we continue to do. There's this floating out there um, idea that the board doesn't want to meet with either of the members, and that's just nonsense. Uh, and so I think that fundamentally, um, you know, that's, that's what we're about, and that's how we get judged. If one member wasn't happy with that, then and the other member was, then there needs to be an active debate. But, um, you know, I think fundamentally, uh, you know, we have delivered against our strategies. Sport England's happy with that. Uh, uh, the members have never kind of given us any reason to think that they're unhappy with that. So, you know, I think fundamentally that's that's the key point here. Oh, lovely. Thank you. Um, last, last question from listener questions now. Uh, the perception is softball gets pushed more than baseball. How could you address fears this is not the case? 
Well, uh, so you cut me and I bleed baseball and softball in equal measures. Um, and so do the staff team. And I make sure of that. Um, if uh, someone comes in and they're purely softball related, they get grilled on how they will make sure. So, sorry, as, a, as an application to our organization, you know, get grilled on how they make sure that they're equally about baseball and, and vice versa. If someone comes in that's a baseball guy or, or a baseball person, or they, they get grilled uh, on uh, how will they make sure that slow pitch and fast pitch are equally a part of this mix? Um, I think fundamentally that there's a there's what we call the double play effect. Earlier in the the podcast, I was talking about um, the magazine that we set up through baseball yeah, yeah. softball, and uh, we were getting complaints. And we were sitting there when we first set this uh, when the B, uh, this was um, this was run by the BBF and BSF jointly before BSUK was set up. But we were getting complaints, and we were sitting there going, "These complaints are coming in from softball, saying that baseball is getting too many." column inches and baseball and base, baseball's coming in and saying softball's getting too many column inches. Um, and fundamentally, when we analyzed the column inches, they were equal. Um, and I think that double play effect has continued to roll. I'm not dismissing that perception, but I think that there's always a perception that you, you don't recognize and clock what matters to you so much as you clock those things that you feel are unjust. Um, baseball Software UK has uh, taken on a participation agenda. It is far easier to get people play, uh, playing uh, slow pitch softball uh, uh, from a beginner's standpoint than it is for, uh, playing baseball. But that doesn't mean that we care less about it or that we don't resource it. Um, what it means is that we, we need to handle things in different ways. Where we've gone to work with um, slow pitch softball, we've worked through leagues as a whole, generally, less so the club setup. Um, we've gone to work in the university sector uh, on slow pitch and on baseball because that's a really gro big growth area. We've also um, tried to look at those places where it can be played much more informally. Um, in baseball, it needs to be in, an, in, in a bit more of an organized structure. And that's where we've tried to work uh, as close as we can as this new uh, strategy is showing with the, the grassroots organization. So um, I think that that's all, all there. We've seen each of the sports in different ways grow in very similar um, kind of scale uh, rather than they haven't all grown by the same number but the kind of percentages are pretty similar um, and they certainly have been at, at many different points over the years so I don't fully accept that we're um, that softball is even growing much faster than baseball I certainly don't accept that we prioritize softball over baseball cool. I'm, I'm and I just sort my light by, out yeah I'm getting attacked by moths I literally had one of them fly straight into my chest as we were calling. So you're it's on YouTube and you look like I'm going doing some weird little jig. Yeah, it's a, a moth straight at me. Brilliant. But I'm just too warm. I can't see the window. And this is like the only lights in the room. But uh, right. I'll, oh, I'll, su I'll suffer for my art. Um, so that is literally all the, the listening questions that I've done. Uh, I like to leave the last word open to the guests. So, John. Uh, any shout outs, anything you'd like to say before we part ways? Anything you want to cover that we might have missed off? Oh, no. Um, Matt, thank you so much for having me on. I mean, I think the um, it's really odd to be in a, in a week where you can feel positive about the sport and you can feel positive, this positive energy coming from so many different corners of the sport. And um, I, I think this British baseball and British softball have so much in common and so much potential. Um, there is an open gap in the market for fun to play, team summer sports that can be embracing of, uh, embracing of every person and every kind of walk of life. And when we just got to ride through that, we got to, you know, my, my, my last message is, is fundamentally the one that I said earlier, 
I really hope that everyone gets behind us and starts looking forward and coming together on this. We'll do what we can uh, to, to, to be a facilitator of that and hope for everyone to, to kind of join together on that journey uh, that we're all going on. So thanks. Thank you for all that you're doing. It's great to see your podcast take off. Thank you very much. I think I listened to your first episode on the tube when we were out on the tube. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's just been, it's really been taking off and uh, it's great to speak to you and see you in person. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, like I said, we try and get you on the show for quite a while. I've, I've been trying to know about this, starting a ball club since you're the age of 12. For, uh, I don't know how long. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been great. Thank you very much for your time. I realise it's been a bit of a long one, but a lot of people in the British baseball community wanted to ask a lot of questions. I hope everyone out there isn't disappointed. I managed to cover everything that was, that was discussed. Uh, John, thank you for being an open book and thank you for sharing your, your, your stories with us. And uh, I'll see you on the other side. Take care. Thanks, Matt. All the best.